0: We've been in the middle of a sermon series where we're walking through the patriarchs of Genesis. Last week we wrapped up the story of Jacob. Now we've moved on to a new generation. Today we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 37, which is the story of Jacob's son Joseph and his 11 brothers. So um, let's listen for God's word this morning now. Now, I am, I had put down in the bulletin, I was going to read all of Genesis chapter 37, it's a long chapter, I've edited it a bit, right? Like, I'm not like reading specific verses, I've just tried to kind of edit this down uh, so that you can hear the story well. So let's listen to God's word from Genesis chapter 37 this morning. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than his other brothers, they all hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. One time, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. Uh, There we were, binding sheaves in a field, and when, when suddenly my sheaf Uh, rose and stood upright, and all of your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, Joseph? Are you indeed to to have dominion over us? So his brothers hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Joseph had another dream. And he told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I've had another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were all bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you've had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, to bow down before you on the ground? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers saw Joseph from a distance, and before Joseph came near to them, they all together conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. And then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him. And we shall see what it becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben, his oldest brother heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty. There there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and they looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels on their way to carry their goods down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there that we should kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother. He's our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. And when some traders passed by, they drew up Joseph And they lifted him out of the cistern, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? He then took Joseph's robe, and he slaughtered a goat, and he dipped the robe in blood. And they had long robe they had their long robe with sleeves taken to their father and they said this is what we have found now see whether it's your son's robe or not Jacob recognized it and said it is my son's robe a wild animal has mauled him Joseph is with a doubt a doubt torn to pieces then Jacob tore his garment and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days All his sons and all his daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father bewailed him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the Egyptian guard. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Now let us then um, pray for the one who preaches, for his sins are many. Um, Holy and merciful God, may something of what I say or do, or at least something of what is seen and heard of me today from this pulpit, be not of me. May it be of you and your promises in our lives and in this your world. In your holy name we pray and ask this. Amen. This week, I've been thinking a lot about games. My family and I, we've uh, been on vacation at the beach this past week. It was great with the exception of the few days when it rained, specifically Friday, it rained all day. Nobody likes a rainy day at the beach. Can't go out and swim and play. You just have to stay inside. And so in our family, when it rains at the beach, we have a tradition, you play games. Uh, we keep this big cabinet full of board games at the beach. We have Uno, we have Scrabble, we have Chutes and Ladders and Candyland and Sorry and Monopoly and the game of life. Something for all ages. And we set these games up on our dining room table and we read carefully over the rules and we fight over who gets to be which color, or which piece on the board. And we laugh and we brag about who's winning. And sometimes we cry about the one who's losing. And sometimes the oldest among us has to fight back cuss words as the game goes on. So last Friday was a really rainy day. We spent all morning playing board games, hoping that the rain would let up, but it didn't. So then in the afternoon, everybody went their own ways, and our girls retired to a different kind of game. A game played on a screen. A game known as Minecraft. I Judge by your laughter, some of you have heard of Minecraft, but if you haven't, it's probably like one of the most popular video games in the world right now, especially among kids. I'll be honest, for a while, I didn't get it. I had to ask Lindsay to explain it to me. This is what she said. Well, you build stuff you build stuff you can build whatever you want you can build a house you can build a castle you can build a beach you can build a mountain you can build a farm you can build an alien planet you just build stuff and then sometimes bad guys come and you have to fight them off but then you just keep building stuff so I asked I said okay well but Lindsay how do you win the game she said you don't win you just keep building stuff you keep playing that's a different kind of game game theorists that's a thing will tell you that life is a game at least everything in life is a kind of game so what is a game Game theorists define a game in this way. There's three different elements that make something a game. Number one, it has players. A game has players. Sometimes it has one player. Sometimes it has many players. Sometimes the players are divided up into opposing teams. Sometimes every player plays for themselves. Number two, a game has rules, both spoken rules and unspoken rules and they have factors that you have to deal with. If a ball goes out of bounds, the play has to stop. There are bunkers and water hazards on a golf course. These rules and obstacles then require a certain strategy, some application of ability. Which brings us to number three, the third thing that a game has, which is an objective. Some kind of outcome that is sought or meant to be accomplished. We don't just play games. We watch games too. And the funny thing about watching a game is that you end up becoming part of the game just by watching it, pulling for your favorite team or player as if you were the one playing the game yourself. We play games because they are fun. That is, until they're not fun, until you find yourself fighting back cuss words because the game isn't going the way you want. A game is a lot more fun when you're winning the game, and it's a lot less fun when you're losing the game. But we play games anyway, because we have to play games. We don't just play games, we live games. Games are everywhere, even when we don't realize that we're playing them. And many of the games that we play are actually pretty serious and not fun at all. A doctor diagnosing and treating a patient is a game. It has players, it has rules and obstacles, it has a desired outcome. Managing your money is a game. It has players, it has rules and obstacles, it has a desired outcome. Politics is a game. War is a game, we call them war games. And being a part of a family is also a kind of game. Joseph is the youngest of 12 brothers. That's a big family, a big game with a lot of players. And the scripture tells us that because Joseph is the baby of the bunch, the surprise kid that was born to his parents in old age, um, Joseph has been the apple of the eye of his father, Israel, formerly known as Jacob, since the very beginning, the day of his birth. Israel makes him a coat of many colors, a long robe with beautiful sleeves. Who's keeping score so far? It would seem that Joseph is ahead in the game. One day, then, Joseph has this dream. And maybe it's because he's the baby and he he feels like he's got something to prove. Or maybe it's because he's young and naive. Or maybe it's because he's cocky. But the moment that Joseph wakes up, he cannot wait to tell his brothers about this dream. He goes to them and he says, Hey, guys, I had this dream last night that we were all in a wheat field. And uh, my wheat was standing up tall and proud. And your wheat was bowing down to my wheat. Isn't that something? And as you can imagine, this doesn't go over very well with all of Joseph's brothers. I mean, who does Joseph think he is? Does he think this is some kind of game? Then the other time, Joseph has this dream. And again, he uh, he goes right to his brothers to boast about it. He said, listen, listen, I had another dream. In this one, I looked up at the sky and there was the sun, and there was the moon, and then there was 11 stars. Isn't that funny? That's the same number as you, my brothers. And all of the stars and the sun and the moon were bowing down to me. Must be foretelling of something, don't you think? Now this time, this doesn't just rub Joseph's brothers the wrong way. Uh, His parents are bothered as well. The sun and the moon and 11 stars? His dad says, are are you trying to say that not just your 11 brothers, but also me and your mother are going to be bowing down on the ground before you? Joseph, are you trying to play games with us? The answer, of course, is yes, Joseph is trying to play a game with his family. But it's not just him who's playing the game. His parents are also playing a game with Joseph and his brothers. His brothers are all playing a game with Joseph and each other because everything in life is a kind of game. It's hard to say exactly what this game is, but there are players in the game... There's give and take between the players. There are rules, both spoken and unspoken, that are governing them. But it's hard to say what the objective of this game is or what it should be. Joseph is bold enough to say he thinks he knows what the objective is. Joseph has taken the object- objective of the game to be for him to reign and rule over his brothers and his family, even though he is the youngest, the one with the least of a claim to have authority over the others. The minute it becomes clear that this is the objective of the game that Joseph is trying to play, his brothers decide it's time to play defense. They start teaming up on him and strategizing. They say, oh, here comes the dreamer. If Joseph is so sure that he's gonna win this game, let's kill him. Let's throw his body down the well. And then we can tell dad that he was mauled by an animal. And then we'll see whose stars and whose sheaves of wheat is bowing down to who. Now there's one among the twelve brothers, the oldest, whose name is Reuben. He has some reservations about the plan. He has a sense that there's something off with their strategy. Maybe not just their strategy, there's something off with the game that they're playing itself. He like the rest of his brothers, though, are, are so deep into the game, he has a hard time pinpointing exactly what it is that's off. He says, let's, let's not kill him, Reuben says. Let's not go that far. Let's just throw him down the well. But let's not hurt him. Let's not kill him. We'll just throw him down the well. The rest of the brothers decide that it would be best to go with Reuben's plan. A, throw him down the well. And then eventually... They sell him into slavery, but they don't kill him. They can't bring themselves to kill him. Why not? Why can't they kill Joseph? I mean, that would be the right move for the objective. If the objective is to be the one who stands reigning and ruling over others, if the objective is to keep Joseph from reigning and ruling over you, if the objective is to shut Joseph off, then the right thing would be to kill him, to put an end to it right now. If you kill him, you win the game. But they can't bring themselves to do it. And I suspect that's because they, like Reuben, can sense that there is something off about the game that they are trying to play. There's something wrong with the way they've interpreted the game of their lives that they are all playing. Like maybe, just maybe, there's something about the game itself that they are getting wrong. There's a game theorist. His name was James Carse, And he says that of all the games that we play in life, both the fun ones and and the very, very serious ones with serious consequences, all of them can be divided into two basic categories. There are what he calls finite games and there are what he calls infinite games. With all games, both finite games and infinite games you have three basic elements right you have those players you have the rules and the obstacles and you have the objective the difference between a finite game and an infinite game has to do with the objective in a finite game the objective is to win or at least come as close to winning as you possibly can at least to not lose a finite game is a competition A finite game is over when somebody wins the game. That's the objective. The team with the most points at the final buzzer brings home the trophy. The player who gets rid of all of their cards first wins the game of Uno. When you hit the golf course, every time you go out there, you want to try to shoot the lowest score that you possibly can. Now, James Karst, though, says there's another kind of game that we play. He calls them infinite games. And in an infinite game, the objective is not to win, but to keep the game going for yourself and for everybody else who is playing. Minecraft is an infinite game. The objective is not to win. The idea is to keep on playing now you might think that infinite games examples of infinite games are hard to come by but then if you look a little bit closer you find that they are all around us they are in every corner of your life government is an infinite game church is an infinite game marriage is an infinite game family is an infinite game they have players They have factors and rules, both spoken and unspoken, but the objective of family is not to win. The objective is to keep going together. And one of the main places that we tend to go wrong as a world in our lives, in our society, is when we start treating infinite games as if they were finite If you start to think of your marriage as about getting ahead and getting a leg up on your spouse scoring points in those arguments your marriage is going to struggle if you treat the economy as a game to be won you might get rich but it's not a game to be won It's a game to keep going for everybody. If you treat your life in this world as if it's always a competition, you will find that in the end, not only do you lose, everyone else loses in the process. Because life in this world is not a game for winners and losers. It's an infinite game. It is a game that we play to the glory of an infinite God. So this morning, God asks you, asks me, what kind of game are you trying to play with your life? This is exactly why Joseph's brothers hesitate to kill him because even though they are so wrapped up in the finite game that they're playing, there's a a small part of them that knows that they are playing the, the wrong kind of game. And in the end, they are so caught up in not losing to Joseph that they can't help but make moves to try to get ahead. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. They tell their father the lie that he has been mauled by a beast. But as you will see, there's good news in this story. Because in the end, it turns out there's another player in the game. There's another player in the game who's been playing all along, and that player is the Lord. And with the Lord, we have a player who has been very clear about the game that's being played from the very beginning. And it is only by the power of the Lord alone That the game always keeps going for all of us, even despite our worst instincts on how to play it, our worst instincts about what the game of life must really be about. And therefore, it is only by the power of the Lord God that we can rest assured that the game of life that you and I are set out to play has already been one for Joseph, for his brothers, for his parents, for his ancestors, his descendants, and for you and me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen.